This is Liv Peterson from Entrenuity. Thank you for joining us today on the Moxie Podcast, where we bring you content to help you move your business forward by capturing the thoughts and techniques from entrepreneurs and business people doing real business with integrity and excellence. Today, we're bringing you Mark King. For the last 20 years, Mark has been investing in venture capital-backed companies in a variety of industries. And in this episode, he will be speaking on venture capitalists, who they are, and what they're looking for in your business. Take a listen and hope you enjoy the Moxie podcast. I know that you can make it better. I know. I know that you can make a change. People, you know, have all these questions about how to look for venture capital. What are they looking for? And am I a match for venture capital? But there's really three questions by way of introduction. Uh, first of all, you need to know why venture capitalists are looking for companies to invest in. Why do they get out of bed? And secondly, that will make what they're looking for make more sense. Because if you don't kind of understand why they're looking and what they're doing in the business, you know, their business model, what they're looking for kind of doesn't necessarily make sense. And then the last thing that a lot of people ask questions about or is really helpful is if if your what kind of matches their what, you need to know how they go about looking. Because it is a little bit of a black box in terms of kind of how these people um, look for investments. Why your what does or doesn't match what venture capitalists are looking for and how to get spotted if in fact it does. Venture capital is actually for a fairly small group of people. There's a particular type of business, a particular type of entrepreneur that's a good fit. Why does any of this matter for you specifically in your specific context? All of those organizations were were essentially a hybrid. You you typically think of venture capital as being an equity investor and owning companies. And you think of banks as making loans. We have this really niche little business called venture lending, which is essentially a loan, but it kind of works like equity. What that allows us to do as a team is to partner with some of the, just a massive number. We, We don't tend to, we don't go it alone. We never kind of just do something on our own. We always do it in partnership with other venture capital firms. So I've had the real privilege of working with some of the, the real preeminent major venture capital firms in Silicon Valley, here in Chicago, New York and Boston. We have kind of a national practice. We've even done some business uh, in Ireland. I've had the, the, the privilege of sitting alongside them and doing some amazing deals. Now, this is the part that we tell. Um, uh, you know, some of the, I, we always kind of throw up the logos of, of people that you might be familiar with. There's two great examples of why I think almost anybody in business can learn from the venture capital kind of arena or the venture capital industry. It's the same exact reason I, my three boys, they don't play baseball anymore, but when they were young, I would make them watch Major League Baseball. Why would you make a seven-year-old watch Major League Baseball? It's because these guys have the benefit of a, a lot of experience. They're performing at the highest level. They've gotten coaching um, that, that is the result of a lot of experimenting and learning, right? When I'm explaining to my son how to pitch and he's supposed to have this old duck wing motion, he's not going to believe me. But if I show him a picture of a thing of Mark Burley with duck wing, he gets it, right? He understands. Uh, Gordon Ramsay, why do people watch the Food Channel? To be inspired, to learn techniques, but you can learn by watching people perform at the highest levels. Um, and they've made a lot of really expensive mistakes. And that's what you want to learn from so that you don't make the expensive mistakes. 
question is, why do VCs invest in companies? Well, it's the same exact answer that anybody has for a job. It, it, it's a job for them, right? Somebody hired them to invest in startups, okay? So the question is, who hired them? Well, I, I tried to pick a, an example of somebody who uh, would be local that people could maybe relate to. Is anybody, is anybody a teacher or know a Chicago public school teacher? Teachers have a pension fund. They contribute all this money into the pension fund. The state, in theory, contributes to the pension fund, but uh, there's this big pot of cash. They have to invest it, keep it safe, and then when the teachers need it in 5, 10, 20 years, they have to be able to pay out their pensions, right? So there's, it's an endowment or just a, an investment fund for the benefit of the teachers. What do they do with the money? Well, if you go on their website, you can actually answer that question. Uh, they invest the money mostly in equities, right? That's these bigger pieces of the pie. They got a little bit of cash. Uh, they invest in some real estate, fixed income as bonds. Infrastructure um, is kind of a nice way of saying roads, oil and gas, that kind of stuff. And then there's this little sliver. It's actually not even 3%. It's about, uh, I think it's like 2.5%, 2.7% called private equity. And they, they take a portion of that cash and invest it in private equity. So they have $284 million that they are giving to uh, venture capitalists and, and private equity, you'll sometimes hear a term, there's, there's folks that do buyouts where they buy businesses, fix them up or grow them and sell them, and venture capitalists who start them. So, so venture capital is actually a very tiny sliver, relatively speaking, of um, the investment world. The teachers, by the way, only have uh, $10.5 billion in their, um, uh, in their pension fund. They do with that 284 million. They hire 11 different venture capital firms that manage 29 different funds. And each of these has a certain amount of money. Some of these are names that you may recognize from Chicago. Pension funds are what we would refer to as an institutional investor. It's not an individual, it's a it's a like entity. They're referred to as limited partners or LPs because their involvement is essentially limited to just investing money. They are not active day-to-day -day making decisions. They kind of hand over the money to the venture capital fund. And the person that we think of as the venture capitalist is also labeled the general partner or a GP. That's because they're generally in charge. They make the investment decisions. They decide kind of how to allocate the money and, and deploy the money. What a GP gets paid by the limited partners is they'll get a 2% management fee on an annual basis, and they get a 20% share of the profits over a certain threshold. We can kind of go into kind of those economics here in just a second. Um, and that, but that's part of the capital. So if, if, if this fund is a million dollars, that 2% comes out of that million dollars, and they have to kind of earn their fee back, basically. These are, these are uh, a limited life, typically. It'll be like an agreement for seven to 10 years um, that consists of like a, a early three to four period, three to four year period where they're investing. And then the back half of that life cycle, um, you know, again, another three to five or even seven years is the harvesting or the exiting phase. So when these people put the money in here, it's, it's a 10 to 12 year commitment. Normally, when you think about investing, your primary objective is to get your money back. A venture capitalist actually doesn't think that way. If you look kind of over time, the median venture capital fund is, is $85 million. 
Uh, the average is 163. Um, there are some massive ones and there are some small ones. You can see it's kind of moved over time. 85 million is kind of a standard number to think about. And then this is, this is an uh, explanation of how the money gets distributed and what the return is. And you tend to talk about it in terms of multiples of invested capitals. Or if you give me a dollar, and I give you a dollar and a quarter back, that's a 1.25x, or a 1.25 return on invested capital. This tracks how people have done funds, say, that are seven years old. Funds that started in 2009, they're at about a 1.28 return at this point. Of that dollar 28, only 38 cents is actual cash that's gone back to the limited partners. Okay. Most of that value, 89 cents, is still locked up in companies that haven't been sold or exited yet. If I raise $85 million, at some point, I have to, uh, if, again, if I want to be average, I have to return 1.25. So I've got to come up with 21 and a quarter million dollars of profits. Half, statistically, of the deals in a venture capital portfolio will lose money. So then you've got, of our remaining 18 deals, you've got about six that will return one times the money. So again, I invest a dollar, I work really hard for seven years, and all I do is I get my dollar back. And in the math here, I've now got about 32 million back. And I'm still trying, I, so I got 32 million, and I'm trying to get to 106, right? That means I got to at least have a one, one of my deals is going to do pretty well and, and double my money over the life of the fund. And that's going to get me about, if I'll get $10.5 million out. So now I've got about 42-ish million. You've got to at least get 12 times your money on that one deal to, re to get the fund's return just up to being average. They're in a grand slam, bottom of the ninth kind of business. The whole, they're, they're doing very risky deals and they expect half of them to go away or lose money. You know, you really build one of these portfolios for the home run. Uh, the very best uh, venture capital firms that return the best, this number is like 40 to 50x on one deal. A lot of the same analysis actually applies to anybody that you talk to about, about raising money for your business. You need to know how the person that you are talking to makes money on their investments. Banks tend to be worried about not losing. They're, they're at the opposite end of the spectrum. They come to work every day terrified that they're going to lose money. So your number one job when you're looking for capital for your business is to know how the person, not the firm, but the person that you're talking to makes money. If you think about a, a take a big bank like J.P. Morgan, right? The loan office, the small business loan officer for J.P. Morgan makes their money differently than the bank does. It's okay to ask some kind of polite questions kind of about how that works, but a lot of it is just talking to people that have worked in those particular types of organizations so that you understand why that, how that person thinks. Most people that you're going to interact with are going to evaluate things they're going to evaluate you and your business through this, this filter. What, what do they look for in an investment? That it's very similar to the process in your mind, or at least in my family's mind, when we ask a very simple question of what do we want for dinner? The first thing I want to talk about is what I would call an investment theme. One of our themes to food in life is we like Asian food. So that's, that's a theme to how we eat dinner. 
and it's driven kind of by us, right? So we would make a decision to go to Chinatown based on who we are. That's our theme as a family. But when we get there, we're confronted with the marketplace, the external reality of the investing environment. So now we have a choice. We, 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 based on who we are, we've decided to go to Chinatown and we want to pick our restaurant. Well, our favorite restaurant might be closed or might be super busy. We don't have to wait for the wait. We have to deal with that market reality, right? We sit down and, and we make our actual final decision reconciling who we are as a family and our kind of criteria with the opportunities, with the restaurants and the menus that are available in the market. Venture capitalist has exactly that kind of same constraints and opportunities. That there's a firm, you know, Acme Venture Capital has a theme. They picked growth stage technology, right? And then they have a, a market thesis, which is large companies are moving to what's called SaaS software subscription. Right? That's a, it's a particular type of software, a particular type. They, they have a thesis that, that these customers are going to need this for these reasons. External. So internal, external. And then they look at you know, kind of specific companies, ABC software, with deal criteria. Right? So that's making a very specific decision of how do we get our theme and our thesis in this specific, it's like the specific menu item. Do I like this or not? Is it too spicy or not? Is it, does it have nuts that I want to avoid? And there's things like revenue and, and the characteristics of the company and, and you know, kind of gave some specific examples for software. But that's the decision-making for process for what, um, what they're looking for. So again, when I come up to the menu, I've got criteria. Here's kind of how they cluster them, right? They're analyzing on the one hand the business itself, and then the other hand, are managing, they're looking at the management team. Team, 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 and not an individual, unless it's very, very early. A good management team with a good idea, that's pretty easy. And a bad idea with a bad management team is, is also, you know, hopefully an obvious decision. The tricky decision is when you have a bad management team and a great idea, or a good management team with kind of an average to kind of maybe bad idea, or an undefined kind of idea. There's a very, very, very old saying in venture capital that you bet on the jockey, not the horse. If you bet on the jockey, you're basically saying, look, if the idea is not as good as we think it is, a really good management team can take a bad idea and turn it into something. However, if I bet on the horse and I love the business, the jockey can absolutely flush it down the toilet. So venture capitalists do a lot of work getting to know the management team. Then you have to look outside of that kind of closed ecosystem. A really good management team with a really good idea in a crappy economic cycle with a ton of competition or a tiny market, I, I can have the best manager and the best idea, and if it's only a $1 million business, I, I can't put enough money to work, and I can't make enough money for my investors, right? So you have to take this matrix in kind of an external constraints environment. Thinking like a venture capitalist, you have to solve a three-dimensional problem. It's actually four-dimensional. The right entrepreneurs, meaning the right team, with the right model, in the right market, at the right time. This is what happened with the dot-com bust, if you think about it. A lot of those models that just completely went to nothing in the early 2000s have all come back. They've all come back.
They were the right idea, the right team, the right market, wrong time. So this is what the criteria look like. They're trying to evaluate the team, the business model, the external kind of context, or I use the word market, but it's really context, right? And you're trying to do it at the right time. Every, every investment fund will, will look at different things. A biotech fund is not going to look for the same things that an e-commerce fund is versus, say, somebody that does um, specialty materials. It's trying to kind of come up with the next stuff that we make chips out, you know, computer chips out of. Very important to understand theme and thesis because the, the criteria fall completely out. But these are kind of common generic things that, that, that apply across all the categories. Expertise, leadership, communication, perseverance. Again, intangible stuff um, that the team has demonstrated. The model is supported by data. Okay, When they ask questions about your business model, um, they're gonna, this is when people want numbers, market research, um, cost comparison, like my product is way cheaper or way better. Okay, well, can you prove it's way better with actual numbers? What, what does better mean? Can you make, will you make more money as the company grows? Or is this one of those businesses where you're losing 10 cents on every sale and trying to make up for it with, with growth? And then in terms of context, again, it's a question of, nobody expects you to, to say, I'm going to control my context, okay? It's the external world. But you at least have to demonstrate that you understand your external world. Here's the number one thing I would want you to remember about kind of theme, thesis, and the criteria. Right? And I hit on it here at the end. You need to be able to use facts to differentiate your team, your business, and the market opportunity. Because when I think back to the example of, of me, going to, uh, me going to Chinatown with my middle son, Jaden, I have to have the facts that there's no peanuts in that Thai food. Okay? He loves Thai food, but there's a lot of peanuts in Thai food, and it would kill him, which is obviously pretty critical to me. It doesn't matter how great that marketing's rest or how great that restaurant's marketing is or how snazzy the entrance is or how nice the hostess is. I need the data about the peanuts. Okay. Same exact thing when you're dealing with any investor, any provider of capital, you go to a bank, you go to your aunt, aunt Susie, you go to, you know, an angel investor, everybody else is going to want data. What specifically about your background makes you good? and makes you successful in this particular model. What about the business opportunity? Why is it so great? Not because I just feel like it's great. It's, you know, here's the numbers. Here's the foot traffic that goes by this location, by this train station. I'm gonna open up a coffee shop. I wanna know exactly how much foot traffic there is by the train station that I'm opening it up next to. And I wanna know the, I wanna show a map of where every other coffee is. That's what makes it a good, not, Oh, I feel like it's a good idea. You need the data um, about yourself, about the business specifically. This is, and this is where I'm starting up now in the, the planning workbook. This, this is really where Entrepreneurity helps with its training materials, is getting those facts organized. Thank you for joining us on the Moxie Podcast. The Moxie Podcast is brought to you by Entrepreneurity, where we help entrepreneurs turn their ideas into invoices. We at Entrenuity are always happy to hear from you, so please reach out to us if you have any questions or comments at www.entrenuity.com. Until next time, this is your host, Liv Peterson. I know that you can make a change.